All right, guys, welcome back to the Buck Fever Podcast. I'm Noah. I'm Jake. And we are on episode number two. Um, I'm a little bit under the weather today, uh, but I got some good meds in me. So I'm feeling good enough we can try and record an episode for you guys. Um, I know we had said in the first episode that we were going to try and do these more and more often. Um, and so we're going to try and stick to that. We can't really say we're going to do it more often and then miss the second episode. We got to we gotta at least have uh, the first two going. So we've got two episodes in a row now. And we also told you guys that we would have the podcast available in more locations. So I do have a bit of an update on that. So as always, uh, the podcast is always going to be available on YouTube. That's where all of our other content is, all of our other videos. Um, so you can always find our content and our podcast on our YouTube channel, which is Buck Fever Outdoors. So expanding beyond YouTube, and you can watch it there. So if you want to watch the podcast, um, you got to watch it on YouTube. If you just want to listen to it, we now have the podcast available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Podbean, Amazon Music, Audible, TuneIn and Alexa, iHeartRadio, Player FM, Listen Notes, Samsung, Podchaser, Boomplay, Overcast, Pocketcast, Castro, and Castbox. So that is a bunch of them that I have never heard of. I've heard about um, two. Yeah, yeah. YouTube is where we've always been, <laughs> and then Spotify and Apple Podcasts are the ones that I like normally would get other podcasts from, especially Spotify. So that's a big one being able to get on there. Um, we are still working on getting it onto four other platforms, which would be Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Podcast Addict, and Deezer. So we're going to try and get it up on those as soon as we can. Um, this is obviously ongoing. These are pre-recorded, so there's a chance that it's already up on, on one of those platforms by the time this comes out. But um, the, the first ones that I listed, uh, the main ones being YouTube, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, it's already up and running. You can go and find the Buck Fever podcast there. Um, and soon to come will be Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Podcast Addict, and Deezer. So that's exciting news. I'm glad we were able to you know, get it up onto those other platforms um, so that it's not just limited to YouTube because obviously it's nice to have everything on YouTube and still be able to go and watch a podcast if you have the time for that, but not everybody does. Uh, so having it on other platforms where you can just listen is obviously... A, a really nice feature so let's get into it a little bit we had a pretty eventful weekend last weekend it was coming off of a holiday coming off of new year's so we had monday off of work which allowed us to get out into the woods um, we did some rabbit hunting some squirrel hunting and that video is live on our youtube channel so you can see all of that but somewhere in the middle of all of that came a pretty cool find yeah we stumbled upon a pretty cool buck that we found when we were driving from spot to spot and uh, that's something i've never done before and i don't think you have either correct no and um kind of where we hunt as uh, it's kind of rare for them to still be there full head of uh like a full head of a buck because i mean everybody up there is kind of the same as us and if they see a deer they're gonna they want it it's it's a cool find so um we were fortunate enough to actually find just uh we were driving by and i found or i could see just his one of his sides sticking up and i was like i think that's a horn so we uh, i'm like i don't know if it's a shed though just to be sitting like that in the middle of a ditch right so we uh turned around and went back and sure enough we get out and the snow plow like we had a bunch of windstorms come through like two weeks ago so like the plows went into the ditch more and plowed back because everything was blown onto the road so he must have gotten hit like right before that and then got buried underneath all that and it started to warm up a little bit so we had some meltage going on and um so we pull over and noah picks up lifts it up and sure enough it's a full carcass and uh we uh did everything legal we got in touch with the dnr we figured uh we kind of knew you had to do that and the first number we called they kind of sent us to direct like a voicemail where they were almost out of office type thing on a monday for the holidays is what they said and uh we yeah, I, I think I called like the Madison like DNR like main office, which was closed. Um, so then I just I, I had contact info for 
some of the local DNR that we have around um, where we live, which is not where we hunt. Uh, but I figured that I could at least reach out, see if he was available, and if he was, he could point me in the right direction to get it registered and try and do the right thing. Um, obviously, we you know we film everything we do, so we don't want to be putting out any anything that's um, either showing us doing something wrong or illegal or promoting something like that. Obviously, so um, within that video also is the hotline that you can call. So that's that's what it turned out being is. Um, I, I know a lot of people talk about you have to get like a salvage tag or whatever. It wasn't anything like that. It was you just call this hotline and it's all computerized, right? It's just a computerized voice that comes on. They ask you some questions. You just punch it in on the keypad. Um, they basically just asked, um, you know, about your DNR information. Just your customer number and right. like where you found it, what county. And that's pretty much it if it's a buck or a doll. Yeah. And, uh. Like Noah said, I thought it was gonna we were gonna sell this tag and then we we're gonna have to have a warden come out and do all this and we we're gonna be there for like hours, but didn't yeah. turn out to be that at all. No, it wasn't anything like that, and that's um, a good lesson too because I know a lot of people, whether they find you know roadkill like we did or you find deadheads in the woods or anything of that nature, um, it isn't the big long process that we maybe thought that it was, which would lead people to not go about it the right way it's like five minutes i mean it took us longer because we didn't know but just if to you find everything pretty right. much to find what numbers to call and who to call exactly so if you have that number and it's a good idea if you watch that video to save that number in your phone if you're in the state of wisconsin it's different in every state and that's some states you legitimately do have to go find get a salvage tag get a warden out there go through all of that for us in wisconsin statewide you call that hotline it gets taken care of um, they sent you an email with a confirmation number. Yeah, right away. I was also able to just write down the confirmation number in case we ever, you know, were stopped by the DNR and, and whatever. Sure. So, right. Yeah. With the cops who <laughs> came and, uh, and found us. That was interesting. We didn't even, we put that in the video, but we didn't put much on the, the thumbnail or the title or whatever. We, you know, we, we just kind of left it in the, in the middle there, but that definitely made it more interesting. Yeah, we were, so we kind of faced another challenge of, okay, so if we do get this, or we are allowed to take this deer, how are we going to uh, get it into my truck, right, right, or get the head off like we wanted, and um, for some reason, I had my fillet knife in the council, and I think it was because I left it in there for deer season, in case we were cutting up deer at the cabin, and um, so I had that in there, and I didn't think I'd be able to, I mean, I cut right through all the neck and the skin and stuff, but... I didn't think it would be able to get the neck part, like the bone part out. And Noah said, just twist it. So he was like finishing up on the phone and I was cutting away at it. And I twisted it, turned it around 360 once and it came right off. And next thing you knew, we were getting ready to go on our way, which was pretty cool. Cause I didn't think it would be that quick. I was calling people. I was like, who lived there close to there. I was like, do you have this or can I come get this and stuff like that? And yeah, we were going to be looking for a sawzall or a, ha uh, <clears throat> sorry, a, a hacksaw or something maybe, but um, we had done this a couple other times. So my dad shot a buck at one point that he just wanted to get a Euro mount on. And then we had found a roadkill buck on the property that I hunt on, just not, not like near a road, right? So the one we found was by a ditch. The one that I found that was most likely hit by a car was like half a mile from the nearest road. So that one made it a lot further in. So it was just a little bit less obvious that it was roadkill it could have been something else it wasn't shot but didn't look super sick so we had done that a couple other times and I just remembered my dad it had been a few years now but I just remember my dad took a knife just cut through as much meat as he could and then just twisted using the antlers just twist it around and snap it right off and it's a little bit gruesome to kind of picture that but it legitimately works yeah, it worked a lot better than I thought it was going to. Um, I think him being under the snow kind of kept him preserved a little bit because the knife cut through him pretty easily. Without, I thought he'd be frozen and he's been under snow or yeah. on the weather for how long, but it actually worked fairly well. I mean, he stunk. Don't get me Horrible. wrong. He, he was really, really stinky. We figured he'd probably be dead, what, two weeks? At least. We, I mean, we found him after New Year's and he was probably dead. He was for sure dead before Christmas, which is right before when all those 
uh, storm. Like I wouldn't really call it a storm, but just yeah. really windy snow blowing stuff came through. So that's kind of why we figured he got pushed up underneath all that snow in the ditch. Right. So it could have been one week, could have been two. Um, he he was not in good shape, but better shape than he would have been if he was just out in the elements and getting picked at and everything. Because like you said, the only thing that was really visible was just his one side. Yeah. Which was kind of crazy going 60 miles an hour to just spot that. But it's always crazy when you do that because we'll just be driving by or walking by or whatever. And you just kind of spot those things. Um, we we were just driving along and you're like, that's a shed. That's, that's a shed. There's definitely a shed down there. And there's all kinds of like cattails and other stuff that could really look like a shed when yeah. you're going that fast and driving down. And um, I mean, anytime you think you see something like that, you got to turn around and investigate but you would think that that was a super busy road, which you could see in the video. You would think that if that was really a shed, it wouldn't last there. Yeah. Well, like that's somebody would have picked it up. Exactly. I was surprised to go over there, and that's what it was. I'm like, oh, my God. So turn around and then um, pull on another road, turn back around so that we're back on the right side of the road, um, pull over, and sure enough, it's just this this big buck I and mean, it was a really good buck for just finding it hit by a car on the side of the road sucks that they i mean that they, they go all that way and someone can harvest Somebody's them probably and really really upset about that. yeah but um but then we're um we're getting it all figured out so we've got our confirmation number everything's good you got the head removed we're like ready to go just about to get into the truck to leave and we noticed when we were sitting there that there was a, a police officer who came like from the same direction we were coming, went past us and pulled somebody over out in front of us while we were sat there on the phone with the DNR and cutting off the, um, cutting off the skull. So then once he's done with the guy that he pulled over, he whips back around and it turns out he was just coming to check on us. I mean, he really, he couldn't have cared less about what we were doing or what we were taking. He didn't care to see our confirmation number. No. It was nothing like that. It was more like we had the hazards on. So yeah. he was making sure we weren't broke down or exactly lost something or something like that. Yeah. He was just trying to make sure everything was all good. So um, he was cool. He's really cool. Yeah. It turned out to not be any sort of an issue at all, but yeah. it was just kind of funny. We're sitting there doing everything right. And then all of a sudden the cops <laughs> are there and the lights are on. And yeah. He put his lights on, obviously, behind us. So, <laughs> But he must have gave that person a warning that he pulled over because they were pulled over for like five minutes, if that. I don't know. wasn't I, very long. I haven't gone through that yet, knock on wood, but <laughs> I don't know how long it usually takes. Maybe he's just a fast rider. Yeah, that could be it. I don't know, but th that, was a, that really helped because at that point in the day, we had shot two rabbits at two properties. Um, Walked about 10 miles, so... Yeah. One one rabbit for every five miles. Yeah, I mean, you're happy with being able to get that kind of a harvest, but I think we thought that it was going to be a lot more. I think we were kind of yeah. surprised that it didn't exactly turn out. I mean, especially at your property. You said in the video you shoot like 12 a year there, so then to only yeah, I see one. I mean, we didn't hit the like the honey hole parts of it, but yeah. I mean, usually where we did go, there's usually rabbits, so I don't, I don't know what was going on there, but... I guess we'll find out in a couple of weekends when we go for that tournament. So, Yeah, there's plenty of time left, but that was a big morale booster. We were just going to be on our way to our last property, knowing we could only shoot squirrels on that one because we're also saving that property for a tournament that's going on later in the year. Um, that's not one that we're going to be a part of, but somebody else. Plus, so, it was like kind of getting cold, cloudy. Um, like, yeah, I don't think any squirrels are going to be out. The only thing we had going for us was that it wasn't windy. Yes. So we were kind of like, oh, okay, I guess we'll we'll go try this and see what happens. And then we find that, and, man, we were jacked up, just spirits through the roof, and could have ran a mile probably. I mean, we were oh, yeah. just ecstatic. Yeah, the sore legs and the wet clothes and all that stuff, it, it went away <laughs> real fast when you find something like that. It's just such a cool thing, um, especially not being one of our bucks that we cared about trying to make it through the winter. It's like this. Somebody else's now. I don't really have to worry about that. Yeah, stinks right. for them, but it does. He was he's pretty cool. He's got he's got a lot of character, um, and so then we're in the process of trying to clean that up. So we 
harvested our two rabbits, found that dead head, um, ended up being able to shoot four squirrels, which is really awesome. Tried for some crows, which are insanely tough if you've never tried to kill a crow. I mean, those things are like, they're like flying pterodactyls almost. It's like the well, pterodactyls fly, but you can get them. <laughs> they, they did fly at one point. <laughs> yes. Uh, you can get them to come in really easy. It's just they come in too far out of shotgun range. So, like, they, they you know, we just have a, a call that we yep. can use for crows or coyotes or raccoons, um, whatever. And so you turn on the crow call, and they come in, like, immediately. But Very they, curious animals. Yes. And they send a spy. So they just send one guy in to go figure out what's going on, and he flies way up high. And I don't know if they ever realize that it's humans or what's going on, but then eventually a couple more will come, but they all stay just out of range. And then when you think that they're in range and you shoot, they must not be in range. Yeah, I have or no they, idea. They must have really thick skin or something, but... I mean, we I knocked one out of the tree. That is to make in the video, but I knocked one out, and I shot him three times, and he fell, hit the ground, and then just disappeared, like ran away we were tracking them yeah, and we were tracking blood on a crow through the woods like 150 yards almost yeah and we get up to where we last saw him he's just gone and i we didn't think he could fly but he must have mysteriously got up in the tree somehow and we couldn't find him which was insane to us i don't know what happened because you had the shotgun obviously i had brought my 22 with just knowing that squirrels were going to be an option and it ended up paying off on a rabbit too because it got a lot of got a little ways out of range and i was able to get it with that but once you had it knocked down i was trying to shoot it with that a couple times and i mean sometimes i knew for sure i missed but i there was like two or three shots where i was positive that i hit that thing yeah i have no idea what happened there i mean i just thought it was crazy we were tracking a crow (laughs) right with blood and we put in the effort too this wasn't like oh we shot a crow who cares let's just leave it be this was like yeah we we, wanted that thing we legitimately were doing everything we could to find that crow put it down put it out of its misery who knows i mean like through the thickest part of the woods that i we can hunt i mean just buckthorn and brush and we were going after and he was bound and determined not to let us catch him so so yeah mystery crow i have no idea where he is but turns out they're like one of the hardest animals out there to get i guess because we've gotten a couple <laughs> like three but and also we've probably shot at 50 that's true but i feel like we don't put in the best effort because we don't well if you wear blaze orange we it have doesn't blaze really orange. Help. <laughs> right and we're not hiding ourselves the best we didn't have decoys either i mean we just kind of do it for fun because it's just yeah. it's just cool you, as soon as you hit that call that that crow uh fighting they yep. just swarm like they just erupt from the trees and they're there, which is pretty cool. I mean, it gives you like a rush for a little bit. and Right. It's pretty cool just to know that you're able to pull in an animal that yeah. you're going after like that. But I don't know. I don't know how to get them. Do you have to hunt them like ducks? Do you have to like shelter down in a blind? I think some more cover and decoys would probably be uh, beneficial to us. Man, I don't know. And then it's not worth it because they're just crows. Yeah, and you're doing all this work. I mean, we just do it after, like, we're walking through, like, oh, let's take a break. Right. Yeah. Throw the call out, see yeah. what happens. Just for fun, but we're not we're not the best at it. Um, maybe someday we'll actually put a little bit more effort into it and and see what we could do. But, yeah, so we, we had a little bit of that worked in there. But eventually the day is over. We get it home. And then we let a few days go by. And we knew that we were going to try and clean it up, make a Euro mount out of it. I'm hoping that it will eventually end up in the podcast studio here at some point. I think it will. Um, it's almost cleaned. But the thing was, we you brought it home and you're like, yeah, we can leave it in the garage. It'll be frozen out there. It won't be that big a deal. Well, I had another one in there for like almost a month too yeah. that it was frozen solid. So, I mean, it didn't really stink. And, um, but that one, we threw that one in there for like two days and you're like, yeah, yeah we got to clean this thing up. We got to get were bad. Here. They started cause it warmed up a little bit. I mean, it got up into like the forties. So it was kind of on thawing and yeah, it was not pleasant, not pleasant, That's... nor was it pleasant when we boiled them. I yeah. think that was worse. Oh yeah. Way worse. It, you can't even really describe it. It's just so bad. It's such if a bad smell. If you could smell something through a video, you'd be able to smell that. Like, oh. that's how bad it was. It's it's literally the worst. I hate it. But 
Um, that's another thing that we've done a couple times with some of our deadheads. So I was kind of used to that. I knew a little bit of what to do. And it was just a little bit of, you know, touch and go there, just kind of trying things and seeing what was going to go on, just some trial and error. Um, and the main thing is to start, you got to cut off all of that stinky crap that's on there to begin with. I mean, you got to get rid of the ears, you got to get rid of the neck, you got to take off as much meat as you possibly can to start with. And that's probably the worst part because it just stinks. Yeah, time consuming, your hands are cold. I mean, kind of frozen and but in the long run it's the best to get as much off as you possibly can right. because otherwise you're not out there for eight hours trying to boil and pressure wash boil pressure wash yeah we put a full day into it but that's the other thing is i think we learned a lot though we did but it's so cold here right now we it's not like we waited till summer to be able yeah. to do it or even spring spring we just decided to do it now because it was stinky and we had to get it done but we don't like to let it wait too long, especially not outside, because here we have two bucks, one that your cousin shot and one that we found, and the antlers are perfect. Everything's perfect on them. So yep. you leave them outside, and you just risk squirrels and bugs and whatever else eating at them and ruining your antlers. You can't get that back. Nope. Not to mention the sun bleaching them out, Yep. which you can kind of get back using some wood stain. I've done that on deadheads that we found or sheds that we found that have been laying out there forever. Usually ones that like this year's sheds would be pretty fresh. You wouldn't really have to do that. But if you find some from previous years, they can be pretty bleached out, just solid white. And you can kind of bring them back a little bit with some stain, but you just risk so much damage to the antlers. And it's not the same either. I mean, you no. can, you kind of know what deer you shoot, you shoot. And if you're staining it or kind of even if, uh, this is probably an unpopular opinion, but if an antler breaks off before you shoot the deer, like early in the season, and you have pictures of them, pe- like they'll, uh, some taxidermists can recreate that horn. Mm-hmm. And um, I don't know. I'm not a huge fan of that. I mean, I had a buck one year that I shot that was missing a brow tine, and he lost it like two days before I shot him. And I, they asked if I wanted to redo it, but I figured, eh, I mean, that's how he was when I shot him. So, I mean, that's kind of how he... That's how he deserves to be presented at on the wall. So Yeah, I agree. I think the one exception to that would be if you shot a deer and then in the process of it running away and dying, it broke something off and you found it. 100%. I 100% agree with that. Yeah. I think then you, you probably put it back on there. Um, I know I would. Yes, for sure. I would do that too. But I think I agree with you. If you shoot one that's broken up, but it had the antlers previously, I don't think I would get them redone because it's also not necessarily all about score no and i feel like you couldn't count it anyway you could guess you could say okay well you if he had close, all that, yeah yeah if he had this tying that he ended up snapping in half the extra five six inches whatever it is maybe less depending upon yeah which tying it is what snapped off you could get a better guess of what the score is but if you're scoring it based on inches that the taxidermist added like that's not that's not what it scores anyways no he didn't have when you killed him so yeah so i agree on that i agree on that but um these were all perfect and there's different methods that people have talked about things that you can use some people say you should just tape up the antlers throw like a tote over top of it and bury the skull and let the bugs eat it in the dirt which isn't a bad idea just very i mean it takes a long time for that takes a while right decompose and because even though we did have to put in a full seven, eight hour day trying to get these cleaned up and it's still not done, you know, you can do it in a day or do it in a weekend. And we also didn't have the best equipment. It was cold. Like there was things that are disadvantage. Yeah. You could probably clean it up in a day for sure in a weekend and then it's done and it's good to go. And you did it. Yeah. Right. Because then it, you're saving money. Um, you have that little bit of extra pride for doing something like that yourself. Um, which is always always cool and that's what we like to do we're not gonna take that one in to go have somebody else do it we just found it Mm -hmm. on the side of the road so um and then the same thing with the one that your cousin shot um kind of worked out good that uh they asked me to do it and i was like i'll give it a shot and then we found that other one so i was like i might as well do two at one time and 
see how they turn out and you can kind of learn a little bit from doing one first and then like oh let's do this different on this next one or don't yeah. do this type thing that's the other thing we spent eight hours but we had two of them to do if we just had the one to do it yeah we we definitely could have got that one done in a day um but the the way that we like to do it that you can get it done um in a day or a weekend you don't have to wait forever you don't really have to pay much money you got to cut off all of the meat like we said and then you got to try and boil it and then pressure wash it so it's a constant back and forth between boiling pressure washing cutting away and you just kind of keep doing that until eventually you have a clean finished product I mean, it probably would have been better for us if we had a nice warm garage to cut everything off in the start. I mean, we were doing it outside. My garage is full of um, uh, wooden parts because we're building a certain shack, so it's and my mom's parked in there. And either way, we just didn't have a ton of room to do that, and we were doing it in the backyard. So if you have that, it kind of cuts it in half, and it's not as painful, so to say, where yeah. you're out in the cold trying to skin a deer, basically. Right. So we've always used like a – it's just an old fryer with some old pots that would have been used for like a, a fish fry or whatever. So it just hooks up to some propane um, and it just heats up the burner and then you set the pot of water on top of it. And at first it, it depending upon the size of the pot, whatever, I don't, I'm not sure what that one was, but it's always going to look like the deer's not going to fit. And then once you take off a bunch of the skin and everything, then it's like, okay, it's going to fit. And the ones we have are just perfect. I would say it's probably, gotta be close to one foot do you think it's probably a little taller than one little foot taller? in height i don't know what the diameter is but right but 14 16 yeah right around maybe. there if you um, enough for it to angle the skull in and one ang- or from like the bottom and then the top of the skull rest right up as long as you can get the nose on the bottom corner and then still have the the top of the bases within the water at that point you're gonna yep. be doing okay um, so that's what we use to boil it. And th- we usually don't like to use any bleach because I've found that with bleach, it doesn't turn any bone white. It turns it yellow, which is not what you're going for. And it weakens the crap out of that bone. So it just eats away at it. The bone gets very weak, very brittle. Most of the teeth will fall out or become really, really loose. And without any of the bleach, we didn't have any of that. Now, I don't know if it would have been easier maybe to get some of that material taken off. I think if we would have let them boil longer than we did, another thing we were learning, uh, if you're going to try this at home or do it on your own, I would probably let them boil as long as possible and then um, take it out because just I think we figured out that the longer they boil, the easier all the stuff comes off, the muscle and whatever. Um and the key with that was trying to not make it like boil over. Yeah, that was our problem. We were we were getting it too hot because we figured as hot as possible would be better, but that doesn't because the water just ends up boiling over the side, puts the flame out, and you just got to start the process all over again. And yeah, it's cold, and you got to, but then the pot is really hot. So then you got to take something else to grab onto it, and it's a whole thing. Um, but once we kind of found that sweet spot where you could just get enough propane in there. You could just get it hot enough that it would boil, but not boil over. Then it was like perfect. And when we just left them in there for a long time, it really loosened things up and then you can hit it with the pressure washer. And that was something that I've always been really, really skeptical of. I mean, those things have some force. Yeah. Like they really will, will just light that up. And I've, um, I've kind of been like, well, it's probably fine on the bigger bone structure, but you look at the cartilage and the stuff up in the nose or um, behind the eyes and stuff like that. It's like, man, I don't know. I I just never trusted the pressure washer to not destroy it. It's some thin stuff, so it I, is. You don't want to wreck it because then your kind of your mount's all wrecked. The, if you break right. that cartilage in the nose, and at that point you're gonna pretty much have to cut the sheds off and just using the sheds yep which is still fine there's nothing wrong with that but it sucks when you had your heart set on a euro mount but we uh we we tried it and when you look up other youtube videos pretty much everybody uses a pressure washer yep and it's like well if everybody's doing it let's give it a shot and we had some struggles with that because 
we have one, but my dad was gone. Uh, it's in a storage shed. He's got the keys for it. Can't get that. You had borrowed one from your uncle. Your uncle never gave you the battery for it. So then we couldn't get it started. Couldn't get the pulsar to work, which was weird. And I'm guessing it had to have a battery in it. We didn't, pulsar. and we didn't want to deal with it. I mean, we were kind of in a not a rush, but like we were boiling them, so we wanted to pressure wash them right away. So then we had to go to Plan C, and thankfully your neighbor uh, had one and was willing to let us borrow it. So yeah, so shout out to my neighbor for giving us his pressure washer to borrow for the day, and that one wasn't easy either. We didn't just go and plug that one in and it worked great we would trip the breaker on the exterior outlet at your house and then the interior and so then finally we ended up having to go to the outlet in the garage which should have had a little bit more power and that was somehow able to make it work and then still it didn't really work but then finally we just got it running and it was working and it was like okay don't touch it don't mess with it just let it go and then it worked great not to mention the water, the the hose was freezing constantly. Oh, yeah. it, was, it was like 20 degrees, so if in between the time switching the pressure washers, it froze, so we had to take it down to my basement, heat it up in a sink with warm water, then carry it out there, and it was that's probably why it took us eight hours, but, I mean... If you can do it in a warmer environment, that's definitely the way to go. Don't boil it in your house, though, that or in your garage or... You'd have to burn the house down if you did that. So absolutely, it's the worst smell ever. It's like you can't, you can't breathe through your nose, but then you're outside and it's less than twenty degrees, so your nose is running, and but you gotta leave the snot in there because it's plugging it up, so you don't have to smell it. Because <laughs> if you wipe your nose or blow it out or whatever, and you take a breath of fresh air, that air is not fresh. Yeah, and then you, it is so bad. Yeah, it's horrible. Your clothes smell like that. I mean, I washed myself as immediately when I got in the house, and I, it it came out for the most part. I mean, I don't really smell it on my clothes that I have, so but it was just horrible. The, I mean, the other clutch part is after you get to a certain point where you have like ninety percent of all the meat off of there, you can get rid of that water, and don't. I mean. I would put that in the yard or down the sewer. That's not going in a sink. That is going to kill all your grass yeah, probably. <laughs> it's That stuff's vile. But um, you can dump all that out, get fresh water, and put a little bit of Dawn dish soap in there. And that seemed to help us out a ton also. Scent-wise, it was much better. And it's also going to kind of help to take away some of that tissue, just kind of loosening up that grease. I mean, it's similar to – it's obviously – helps you wash your dishes so it's kind of a, a similar thing it does something uh, to kind of loosen that stuff up and it smells much better so once you get to that point then we were kind of okay it wasn't the worst it wasn't the worst at that point yeah the dawn dish soap is killer it, for sure yeah that that helped out a ton um so yeah now they're they're both pretty much pretty much done we still have a little bit to go we kind of ran out of daylight when we were cleaning those up uh, but i think we're going to get back after it maybe this weekend try and get that finished up and then obviously that's going to be a video for you guys so everything that we're talking about now uh, we're going to show you all of that stuff show you how we how we did it walk you through it give you some tips and tricks and that i, I think it's really really useful because there's a lot of times when you wouldn't be getting a shoulder mount, you know, whether it's a deadhead that you find in the woods when you're shed hunting, because that happens to us sometimes, whether it's on our property, whether it's on public, whatever you're shed hunting, you find a deadhead. If it's fresh enough, there's probably still going to be some stuff on it. That's going to need to get cleaned up. Maybe there's not, but you still are going to want to clean it, kind of disinfect it a little bit. If you want to bring it into your house or right. put it somewhere in like the garage or something, you don't want to just, I mean, hang it up there and take your chances. There's a lot of chances there's bugs or just... It, it's best to clean it, get the stink out of it. Yeah, it's just, that too. Right. Because it's easy enough if you know what you're doing. Um, and if it's something that you find on the side of the road, hit by car, God forbid it's a deer that you hit with your car, <laughs> that would really suck. But if it's a really nice one, it's like, well, hey, at least I could get a euro mount out of it i guess 
Um, actually, if you hit one with a car, you could probably get a shoulder mount. Yeah. It'd be just as fresh as if you shot one. Take all the meat home, you get all that. It would suck, though, because you got to pay to repair your car. Maybe it's an expensive deer, really expensive deer, especially if you get it mounted. Yeah. yeah. I don't know if anybody's ever done that. I don't know. I'm sure people have, but... I don't want to be the first, unless you hit it with your car, and I'll mount it. <laughs> if you pay for it, I will. Yeah, that's fine. Not on purpose. I would never... I'm not paying for the car. I'll no. pay for the mount, though. I would never go out of my way to hit a deer. No. I wish I could have sent my truck out that way. That would have been the greatest ever. I still think jumping it off the a quarry would have been cooler. Quarry would have been nice. I don't know which quarry would have taken it. We could have found one. It'd be kind of a mess. It gets to the bottom. Just cost some money to clean it up. up. Maybe they could just bring in a big magnet down there. Yeah, they got those big front end Maybe, loaders. Yeah. yeah, I'm sure. Anyways, RIP to my truck. Um, she's in a better place now. Way better. Way, yeah, way better. Way better. Any any place other than our driveway <laughs> is a better place. Uh, so, yeah. But, no, we, we, we're going to get that all cleaned up. That video is going to be coming out really soon. So, that'll be there for watching right now and for future use. You find something, you shoot something, you decide you want to get it cleaned up, do your own Euro mount. That's a great video. It's going to be a great resource to show you how to do that. And something that we talked about that is probably going to make it in the video. Um, there's there's some options too for what you can do for like a backing for it to kind of make it more than just the Euro mount itself, which is cool. But if you make some sort of something to put it on, that can be a little bit cooler too. Or if you're really fancy, you can dip it. Dip the skull. We have a couple that are hydro dipped. We didn't do them ourselves. We I have a paid couple for too, those. Yeah. Did you do those? You got no, them? that's the guy who did the European yeah, monster. them. I don't know how to. It, I, it, I think you just get a bin of water almost and you kind of you spray. I don't know if this is right, but I've seen videos where you just spray a bunch of like spray paint and lines or whatever pattern you want. And you kind of just. But is it a specific paint that you got? Yeah, I think I you, mean, got, you probably got to get some sort of paint. If you look it up, I'm sure it'll tell you. Yeah, it's probably along the lines of pressure washing where it seems like a bad idea and then you do it and it probably would turn out really cool. That would maybe be something we could try yeah. Um, if we find another one, hopefully not on one of our properties this year, but maybe driving around again or something like that. Um, that'd be that'd be a cool thing to try. If we ever do that, we'll have to make a video on that too, obviously, and show the progress. But, um, yeah, so, so moving on from that a little bit, um, you've been doing a little bit of late season deer hunting. It's kind of winding down now which we also talked about in the rabbit video like it's pretty much over i'm done i think it's done yeah i think uh colby and eli are done you're probably done i think in some counties or some parts of the state it still goes till the end of january yeah i was looking at it the other day and i don't think my our counties are in it but no just kind of random ones all over but i think it's mostly for like your deer population if you have a lot of deer you're allowed to hunt later which makes sense. And I think other places in the country still have deer seasons that are available. I think there's still some rut stuff well, like going on. Like down south and like Oklahoma and Texas. Yeah. I mean, they're kind of just starting almost. Well, I shouldn't say that, but it's like they're November right now almost. Yeah. So it's kind of weird how that works. But just figured we could talk a little bit about uh, some of the late season hunting. Not only hunts that you've been on and, and had some success with, but um, also some tips and tricks there some things that you could look for because i've found that with late season deer hunting you either have the deer or you don't have the deer it's like you either have 40 does and fawns just piled up that are going to be there pretty much every night you could set your clock to it or there's not a deer in sight because that's kind of where we're at with the property that i hunt at we're getting trail camera pictures of squirrels and coyotes and there hasn't been a single deer there since like November or December. It's just desolate. But then property like yours and some of the surrounding neighboring properties, especially if you're driving around kind of right before dark, you could see 40 deer out in the field. Easy. Yeah. I mean, that's kind of something that I've um, learned in the last hmm, five years when they've kind of had these holiday hunts and uh, being off of school, I could go a lot. And um, it, if you have 
any source of food that's been left and great bedding, even good bedding, uh, you're going to see deer. We have this really thick pine behind us, like 40 acres of just straight pines. And, um, I mean, they just, they love that. They live there all year long, and especially in winter, they herd up. And, I mean, you could just sit there and watch them just file out, like, like 20, 30 at a time. I've seen up to, like, almost 40 come out of there at one time. And they'll come over and eat in our cut fields, which is awesome that we have. Because, I mean, if they need food. It's cold. They need to, they need to stay warm. So they're going to eat, and they're burning a lot more um, calories and stuff. So they need to eat to stay warm and not lose all their fat so they come out into this field and i mean we've shot probably over 10 in the late season um dad and i shot two this year or one each um probably could have shot more if we went or shot at a couple but yeah it's 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 very good if a very good hunting tactic if you have late season food source uh, which is a little weird though because we have food plots that had turnips and radishes in and they're not touching it so I don't, I'm not really completely sure why that, what that's all about. If they just like to cut beans that are left around or. Yeah, I, we're in a similar situation. We plant food plots every year and we try and plant more and more and, and a lot of green food um, because when it comes to the winter time, there's less water in the deer's diet. They need that pretty heavily to be able to, to digest their food. And that comes mostly from green plants i've heard some some things out there um that are like deer don't really need to drink much water in the summer because they can get so much moisture out of the green plants that they eat that they have like a ton of moisture there and as you get into the fall and the winter you actually they rely on that water a little bit more because there's less in the food that they're eating and so it helps them to digest so i don't know if that's part of it like if you can have good water that is open because we have water holes but then they freeze sometimes they can pick through that sometimes it just freezes all the way to the bottom and that's just kind of that i don't know how much water has to do with it when you see these huge piles of deer they're usually in cornfields or bean fields yeah everything that were cut down but like if you read a lot of like when you're planting food plots they always say turnips and radish are winter winter plot where the yeah. deer should just be piling in there to to dig those up and eat those but it's like i don't think ours are as mature as they like um like the people who say this are like we don't have like basketball size turnips or no. radishes anything like that but i mean they're decent enough for a deer to that's hungry to come in there and dig them up and eat them but i mean i pulled our cameras in the middle of december or they were dead in the middle of december and i didn't uh, put new batteries in but there's just there's no tracks, no nothing in there, so it's it's kind of almost prominent that they're gonna come to those cut fields of bean and corn. At least by us, that's where uh, what's mostly planted. Yeah. So then you also got to look at like thermal cover because it obviously gets really cold in the winter, especially in a lot of the northern states. So they they need to have that thermal cover where they can get out of the cold, get out of the wind if there's snow and rain, stuff like that. So then you're going to be looking at a lot more like pine trees, taller grasses, real thick, thick stuff, which is good to have regardless. I mean, you want to have good deer bedding year round, but especially in the winter time, like you said, on your property there where you're talking, a lot of where we find them bedded down is in those pines with a valley. A yes. couple of valleys almost where they can just really tuck down in there and completely escape the wind and really doesn't even get a lot of snow down there just because there's so much pines and if they, they're going to try and sit on the south side, south facing slopes because that's uh, usually the warmest, obviously. Yeah. So they can get out of the north northwest winds and sit on the south slope down low or in the pines. I mean, that's I wouldn't want to leave there. So. Yeah, we see a lot of our deer... I think they mostly go up to the hills because we're kind of down in a big valley. So we're, we're at the bottom of the valley, but it's huge. It's like, you know, a couple miles wide. So it's not like you're talking where it's just like real hilly and there's little valleys in there. This is like a huge valley. And so we usually see them go up to the hills because when they're up there, they have those hills and valleys that no matter which way the wind is blowing, they can tuck down on the backside of one of them. And that's why kind of that 
when you talk about shed hunting and things like that, even regular just hunting deer in general, that south-facing slope can be somewhat of a myth. Yes, that's kind of more facing the sun a little bit, but I, I think more importantly than that is wind. They're, they want to stay out of the wind. So they're kind of going to be where, and yes, a lot of times in the winter we see a lot of wind out of the north, but this past hunting season, we set up a ton of our stands to be used for a north wind. We never got it. Never got it. Well, it was so warm. I mean, we talked about it a little last time that our rut has been like 60 degrees, which is usually bringing a south wind mm-hmm. or southwest. Or, and I mean, we had a lot more east winds than we normally do. Yeah. That's kind of like um, once every once or twice a month we get an east wind. We probably had close to 10 of those this year. There's plenty of them. Very rare north winds, which kind of stinks, yeah, because like you said, we set up a lot of our stands for north winds or in a lot of our good stands for north winds because when we're hunting, when we think we're going to be seeing a lot of bucks is the rut and when it's supposed to be cold and a north and northwest wind is prominent. But So when it comes to doe control, because that's something that kind of goes away, then during the season when it gets into late October, you get into the rut, it's like, okay, now we don't really want to shoot any does. Do you prefer early season or late season as far as doe control goes? Um, Depends. I like early season just because I like shooting them with my bow. And I, it's kind of flipped. <laughs> During early season, I kill all my does off food plots. Yep. Because they're, I mean, they're in that pattern. They're, they're, they're hungry. They're trying to bulk up for winter. Um, but I also have just as much fun shooting them with the gun in late season because you see a ton of deer and... You can, I mean, you get to bring, we have an enclosed stand, so you can bring out people who normally wouldn't hunt a ton, yep. or it's more comfortable, you can do all that, but um, I'd probably have to go with early season, just because of the chase, and the um, the patterning, and just the bow, I like that, I like being out in the woods, everything's green, and uh, you're, you're right in the middle of them. Which, it's nice, if you can let it go a little bit later into the season, just to let those fawns get a little bit older. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's nice that way. One thing I don't really buy into is people who say you shouldn't shoot them late season because now they're pregnant with next year's fawns. Yeah, I don't. It's like, well, first of all, the point is to control the population. Mm -hmm. So if you can get a two for one deal, that seems probably pretty good. I mean, obviously, then you could argue, well, that could be a buck that's born and you want to have bucks and whatever. But you don't know that. You don't know that, and if you shoot them early season, that's a doe that would have been bred, that didn't get bred because you shot her. Yeah. So, like, to it's, me, I don't think shooting one late season is any different than shooting one early season. And then there's also that you shoot them late season, you might shoot a fawn, or you might shoot a button buck, because at that point, I've l- done that. late November or late December, they're the same size as some of those year-and-a-half-year-old does, and if they come out together, you're like, you're looking... And, 150 yards away you can't tell if he's got little nubs or not so I yeah mean, that's that's tends to happen so when i was younger i made that mistake there was a group of deer that came out of the woods um there was like four of them and they were kind of moving pretty slow eventually they gave me a shot gave me enough time to check it out and i was gun hunting got them all into my scope and i didn't see nubs on any of them just shot the biggest one turned out it ended up being a, a button buck so obviously that's something you want to avoid late season if it's at all possible but there's ways to avoid it too yep i mean it it's i mean the last one that i shot i she came out all by herself and it was a doe it wasn't the biggest doe i've ever killed but it was an adult doe and she came out by herself and i didn't shoot her right away because i was like well it, i mean it I've seen nubbies that are this big and then a couple more fawns came out and some more deer filtered out into the field and they were I could tell that these were fawns so I waited for them to walk by her or get close to her and I could tell that she was um, bigger and taller than them so I was like okay well that's an adult though so I I wasn't just shooting to shoot and shooting the first deer that I saw that came out so and that's the best thing you can do to try and figure out what's what wait for more deer to present themselves and that's one of the things that you can get late season early season you're usually going to have a doe and then probably have a fawn or two with it maybe there'll be a couple adult does and obviously then it's easier to tell but late season you're generally going to see a huge pile of deer 
And so if you can just wait a little bit longer and hopefully you're hunting kind of more over a, an open field like that where they're probably going to be out feeding for a little while. Hopefully your wind's not blowing at them. They're not going to be spooked. So you'll you'll be able to kind of take your time with it and be able to tell what's what. And, and that's really the best way to do it is just giving it more time like that, obviously. And um, that's the last thing. I mean, you don't, no one ever wants to shoot like a, a nubby, but it happens. I mean, what are you going to do? It, you can't avoid it sometimes. And, but, and who knows if that buck would even stayed for the, for the upcoming year and right into the whole nubby thing or shooting the mom that might be pregnant. I've seen, or I've heard and talked to other people that sometimes if there is a, I don't know if you believe in this, but if a nubby, uh, his mom is still around by the time he's so a year and a half when he can uh, mate they'll leave because they don't want to um, mate and breed with their mom which makes sense makes sense so um, I've seen a lot of people that say if there's a fawn or a doe and a nubby shoot the doe because she's did that buck will stick around then because their mom's not there right I mean we've had this and, and this could be a bigger discussion for another episode too because I've kind of shared some of my thoughts on it where I think for humans psychologically our thought process is like don't shoot a doe that has fawns with it because that's its mom and that's sad but I think when it comes to deer I don't know if they have the same emotional attachment I think they see it as like this is the adult deer that I spend my time with I don't know if deer actually feel emotional connections to each other i don't think they have long enough to really get that right like humans we got years and years before we right. even fully understand you're like three or four by the time you really understand like oh yeah this is my mom and dad this is i'm exactly so I, they're they're here for me type thing yeah i always feel like people read too much into that where they're like well i can't I can't shoot a doe that has fawns with it because it's too sad, whatever. And I think that's more of a personal thing. It like is. If, if you think it's sad, then that's fine. Don't shoot it. But I don't think the deer feel the same way about their relationships as people feel about people relationships. It's just different. They're animals. It's just not the same. To and me. I've I've kind of tracked this on my cameras. Like I've seen deer that I've shot with fawns that have just hooked up with another family like another don't funds because yeah i mean they're just out there trying to survive so they're going to go live with someone else who's just doing the same thing they are and can help protect them so it's right. sad to think about that if you shoot their parents they're just going to go find someone else but it, it's it's just kind of the the site the circle of life there it is yeah because i've heard that too that a nub buck or, or a buck in general i guess if the mom is still in that breeding area it'll leave and go to a, a different breeding area because it doesn't want to breed with its mom that's something that makes a lot of sense i don't know how you could really track it you'd almost have to have like a like a deer farm basically to try right. that and see if they wouldn't breed with them and then you could which would make i mean i suppose they would have something biologically that they know which doe they're mom is or they're related to it whether there's a feeling attached to that i don't know i'm guessing probably not but they probably know which one is their mom which would make sense that it would leave then so in that case it, it is that debate do you shoot the doe to hopefully make the buck stay does that buck just get hit by a car anyways i think you shouldn't exterminate your doe population to try and yeah no i will I wouldn't shoot every doe with a nubby you see. No. But, I mean, if you're out doe hunting and you happen to have one come into range with one and... What do you think is a good ratio, bucks to does on a property? Well, I mean, for us, we usually say, like, killing one buck, you should kill every two does to it. Yeah. Which is right. But, I mean, like, you obviously want to have more bucks than does because you're, you're doing good then. That means... Um, kind of does might be even coming to find the bucks i mean i know um uh bill winky had a five to one buck to door ratio which is insane i have no idea how you even achieve that or manage that and only i mean you can only kill so many bucks a year but still have that many deer is insane to me yeah i mean even if if you're breaking like 
one buck to every four or five um, antlerless deer. I think that's a pretty good ratio. Yeah, I mean, that I've heard a lot of people say that ideally it would just be one-to-one. For every buck you see, there's does you see, and you can kind of gauge how healthy your property is and what you might need to do based on any given sit that you have in the woods, how many bucks you see versus how many does do you see. Because I know for us, it's always like kind of a bigger deal when you see bucks in the woods because we're just so used to seeing more does and fawns. But to have that mentality where you should be seeing bucks pretty much just as often as you're seeing does, you kind of have to realize, okay, if that's not happening, I've got too many does right now and I need to shoot more of them because like you said, that can really affect your rut. And we've, we've lived that the last couple of years. So that's why, that's why we shoot so many does as we do. And we're kind of understanding because our, our uh, ratio probably is one to five or one to six. I mean, we see a ton of does and I mean, we get a lot of bucks on camera, but we're not seeing them as much as we see the does or like, you'd think like they'd all just come onto the field. And yes, that comes with the bucks, the mature bucks we want to see are smarter and aren't coming out at two hours before shooting like to feed but um just the more the less does you have but still having enough is kind of like the sweet the sweet spot yeah you don't want to exterminate them but you do have to think about it in rutting terms i mean the rut is when bucks are traveling longer distances to go out and find does so if there's an overabundance of does in an area that would then mean that that buck doesn't have to travel as far to find more does, which means if if the buck's travel is more limited, that rut is going to suck. It's not going to be as good as if there's a lot fewer does and that buck has to travel a lot further, and that's, that's what's going to get more bucks traveling on their feet and coming into your area. Or that buck finds a doe and he's locked down for a week because she's not, she's not fully ready to breed, but like he can tell that she's getting there yep. and, and then you don't see him cause he doesn't have to go anywhere and, or he can finds one and goes to the next and next. And he's just not running over the property trying to find does cause he's got them all at his fingertips. Yeah. Cause you guys have seen that in previous years with numbers of deer that you've shot. If you don't shoot enough does, the rut kind of sucks. If you shoot more does, you have a little bit better rut the following year. So there's definitely a balance there that needs to be found. Um, and, and I think like you said, shooting two does to every one buck is probably the right answer. I think you maybe aren't going to shoot a buck every single year. You still should probably shoot a doe or two if you can. Um, and I, I think whether it's early season or late season, there's probably no right or wrong answer. It's just more preference. Like you said, you like to shoot them with a bow. So go out and shoot them with a bow. If, you like the gun hunting more or it's just better because I mean in Wisconsin it's colder so you shoot a doe in December or January you don't really have to worry about the meat as much as if you shoot one in September when it's 80 degrees if you some people don't like shooting them early season second weekend third week in a bow season because then you got to go trounce through all your woods to track them or you get a bad hit next thing you know you blow up your whole uh, your property you're hunting and then you might be done for a couple weeks because you just blew all the deer out of there type thing so yeah I mean I definitely if you have that type of property where you can really hammer the does late season I definitely don't mind that as an option and you just save it for the early season for the bucks right you try to not disturb it as much as possible by shooting does obviously then you might miss out with your bow a little bit but that that late season can be really really good on certain properties in certain situations and it's definitely not anything wrong in my opinion with shooting does late season even if they're bred i don't think that that's a problem at all and don't get me wrong we're not going to every stand early season and like oh we'll shoot a doe like there's certain stands we'll shoot them off of because it's on a field edge or it's uh not in the middle of the woods where it's not going to disturb every anything if they go in or hopefully they run out to the field and die type thing like we're not going into our number one stands shooting yeah. does first and second week of bow season. Right. So let's say it's let's say it's public land and you're trying to just go put some meat in the freezer. Uh, whether you're scouting 
mobily like online to start you're looking at maps online what's something you're probably going to be looking for on public land somebody's trying to put meat in their freezer what, what are you going to look for there if i'm going on on public land i'm looking for um public land um right alongside egg fields yeah i'm going to try and sit on that edge and see because they're going to be coming out to that they're going to be feeding they're they're the type of they're early in the season where they're going to come out hour hour and a half before before light or before dark so they're going to come out there and feed and you got plenty of time to get eyes on them and uh, even shoot one early and maybe even shoot a couple right away Um, i wouldn't i wouldn't necessarily go deep into public right away and like get sit right in the middle um that's where they're betting that's where they're comfortable and uh obviously it's public so other people might do that but if you do that you might uh, decrease your chances for later in the year so I would try and set up a side in between bedding and food, basically. Yeah. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's good advice no matter what time of year it is. Between bedding and food, that's pretty much the two things that control their lives. So if you can get between that, you're usually going to be in really good shape. I, I like what you said about the ag. If, if there's ag on public land, that's huge. If it's just on a neighboring property, that can be really big, too. You set up a little ways into the woods where you think they're going to be traveling there in like we talked about that thermal cover when you can get into the thick stuff and i wouldn't be afraid if you're on um if you're looking online on a map on public land during the early season usually hunting in pine trees is probably not going to be real great because there's not a lot of browse in there there's just not a lot of food and cover whatever but in the winter time that can be some of the best stuff so if you can find like some pines with some tall grass coming into some ag that sort of transition area man if you can't shoot a doe or two out of that late season i I don't even know where you go and for early season when i say sit over ag fields i mean obviously don't sit over a cornfield because what's the point of that can't see in there can't shoot there but i mean if you got a cornfield and then like a a 60 acre uh strip or even like a 10 acre strip of just uh, like hay or wheat or just something where it's not tall where they got to walk in between and get to the woods that's yeah that's good i mean bean fields are, are great. killer yeah i mean they're just out there annihilating those and you can you can sit and see for days and just see deer and deer and deer and learn you can learn a lot too from those early season sets sitting over uh, bean fields oh yeah where they're coming where they're going what they're doing how long they're out there where they go yeah that i mean that's the other advantage that you have late season is you got snow on the ground in a lot of places so and if the weather's right but that makes it a little bit easier to scout some of the tracks uh, and and just kind of do a little bit of that in-person scouting to try and figure some of that stuff out late season Um, there is talk too about like a second and third rut that can happen in the late season that's something that i feel like you really have to have your ratios properly managed in order to have something like that or just like a ton of does where there's not enough bucks to breed them we saw it a little bit um like the second weekend in december when my dad shot his doe uh we had a fawn come out and which is most likely the second rod is like the very few does who didn't get bred or the yearlings who are coming into heat now yeah uh, we had a little fawn getting chased by a buck. I mean, and he was on her. He wouldn't let her go. Like he was just sticking to her type thing. And he was chasing her kind of the whole time. And he wanted nothing to do with the does that were out there because obviously they've already been bred and weren't in heat. So yeah, that's the first time I've really ever seen it, but, um, I th- it's definitely a thing. And if you can get into that, I mean, that's huge too. I think that's a little bit more difficult to try and scout and figure that out it's something like you said you pretty much said to be there in person and observe that it is going to be like a month after when the the first rut is and then you'd have a second rut for does or i guess yearling fawns that still haven't been bred and then you can even get into a third rut in like january then so that would be now which again i think you'd have to really really have something abnormal with your populations going on in order to really get into all of that but that's another thing late season that if you can take advantage of that that can be pretty huge too so if that's something that you notice in your area whether it's private or public um, that's something that maybe not everybody's focused on 
lot of people are either tagged out already or by the end of November, they're kind of ready to call it quits. So if you're somebody who has to hunt on public, that can really be a, a great thing late season when everybody else is maybe done. You could even get a, a second or a third rut and just if the right piece of public, the late season can really be dynamite. I agree. If you find the right spot, mm-hmm. the right egg and the right bedding situation. And I think you can really be set. All right, man. My, uh, my meds are starting to wear off. I'm ready to, <laughs> to wrap this up. Yep. Um, so thank you guys for watching. Thank you for listening. Um, like I said earlier, it's always going to be on YouTube on Buck Fever Outdoors. You can go find us there. You can go to buckfever.com. You can find all of our content there. You can find all of our merch there. You can find articles there. Um, we've got some stuff written up about us. There's a lot of cool stuff there. So buckfeveroutdoors.com, if you check that out, we'd really appreciate that. Um, on any of these wherever you get your podcast, wherever you're listening to it, watching it, um, Spotify, Apple podcasts. If you guys really like this show and you can give us a good review, that would help us out a ton. Uh, those five-star reviews are huge for podcasts to, to do well and reach a wider audience, um, and just kind of give us some feedback. So if you guys like what you're like, what you're seeing, like what you're hearing, um, a, a good positive review would mean the world to us. Um, and as always with YouTube, uh, if you could like this video, um, subscribe to the channel cause we're two weeks in a row now and we've got more to come next week. Maybe a guest. What, what do they look up to find these on these other, um, Spotify and Apple play? Yeah. So it, it should just be buck fever podcasts or the buck fever podcast. Um, it, it, it should all be there that the, they should all be up and running. So YouTube, Buck Fever Outdoors, that's going to be the best way to get to the Buck Fever podcast on there. Um, and then on any of the other platforms, uh, whether it's Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Podbean, Amazon Music, all the other ones that we listed, if you just search on there, the Buck Fever podcast, we should pop up. Um, it's our usual logo. It's the, the Buck Fever orange with our our logo and, and all of our stuff on there. So it should be pretty easy to find um and i'm really happy that we have it up on all these other platforms and there's going to be a few more to come in the following weeks too so it's really exciting stuff there yep all right guys thanks for watching thanks for listening we'll see you guys next time